Welcome to Wordsmithy, a podcast for new words. So one day I was minding my own business and I got a very random text from my brother. It read, hey, is there a word that describes something inedible as delicious or yummy? Again, this was totally out of the blue, like a random starting the conversation text. And I had a lot of questions. The first was, like, what, what are you trying to describe right now? And why me? Like, why, why, do I have to, why do I have to be this guy? I couldn't think of a word for this off the top of my head. Nor did I see the allure or need for a word like this. Like, it doesn't seem that this word would be used very often, I hope. And I, you know, the English language is already cluttered with random weird words. So, I, yeah, I didn't see the need for this. But then I did what my brother no doubt had already tried, and I googled it looking for a word out of mere curiosity. And let me tell you, I was awestruck and dumbfounded by the search results. No, there, there's not a word for this experience. But good God, was this a common experience. I typed into Google, inedible but delicious. And here are the results. Number one. 21 things that look delicious, but are definitely not food. Number two, 16 inedible objects that look delicious. Number three, 45 times totally inedible things looked like delicious food. And down the ways a little bit was 20 delicious but inedible things that look like food. So I'll stop there, but if you're curious, the sum of those sites equals 102, 100 items people are drooling over, items that are not food. So, I don't know why this is the case, but clearly there is a need for this word. In the interest of trying to understand the need for this word, I did some light research, and here is my takeaway. I think like the interconnectedness of the internet age has kind of created like a a petri dish for trends to grow and spread. One such trend I found is the forbidden snack list. So users on sites like Reddit um, document objects which, despite being inedible, appear appetizing or yummy. One of, if not the most publicized forbidden snacks, is the Tide Pod. I'm sure you're aware, but Tide Pods are like little laundry detergent pods you throw in, you know, throw in with your laundry and it cleans. You know, it's better than using liquid, I guess. Anyway, so Tide Pods began to be sold in 2012. And within a year, 2013, there were upwards of 7,000 reported cases of poisoned children who had consumed Tide Pods. And yeah, they look like candy a little bit. To a child. To a child, they look like candy. Not to an adult. However, the pods did not pose a danger to only children. So around 2018, the Tide Pod began to proliferate in the petri dish that is the internet. And users across the web were asking the same question. Why does this laundry detergent, which absolutely would poison me, maybe kill me, definitely ruined my day, looks so dang tasty. And these feelings 
ultimately culminated in the infamous Tide Pod Challenge. This was a trend on sites like YouTube and TikTok. You can probably guess. Heck, maybe you've even tried it. I don't know who's listening. But this trend challenged people to eat Tide Pods and satisfy the urge, the obsession, the question of what does this thing taste like? Because it looks delicious. To a, to a child, not to an adult. To a child, it looks delicious. Teenagers, of course, were the, the target, I want to say, for this trend. And that makes sense because the difference between children and teenagers is, you know, a couple of years. Um, so th- there's more. It, yeah, yeah, there's not that much difference. So I think we've established that the experience of being peeped by an object's apparent piquancy is certainly common. However, there's never been an appropriate word for it until now. And full disclosure, there might be a word for this, but I didn't find one. So if there is a word for this, it's about to get a synonym, baby. All right, here's what I got. I came up with the word picogial. I'm going to spell that for you. P-I-C-O-S-I-A-L. Picogial. It's an adjective. Describing something that looks delicious, even though it's inedible. So, picogial is a portmanteau of two very old words, from medieval Latin and ancient Greek. The first part of this word is pica. It's medieval Latin. In modern usage, the word denotes a condition where one feels compelled to consume inedible objects. The DSM-5 describes it as eating non-nutritive, non-food substances over a period of at least one month. The nature of ingested items is variable, including, but not limited to, earth, raw starches, ice, charcoal, ash, paper, chalk, cloth, baby powder, coffee grounds, or eggshells. So if you know anyone who does this or has this, uh, I guess they have pica. This is technically classified as an eating disorder, I think. Uh, It's a condition that can be developed by anyone at any age. However, there are three common demographics. Children, no surprise there, under the age of six, um, people who are pregnant can develop this, and people with certain underlying mental health conditions. So that's the modern usage of this word. But in medieval times, pica had a different meaning. It was the name for a bird in the Corvidae family, the magpie. There are many, many, many associations bound to the magpie, and this makes it a real efficacious or useful word for creative writers and speakers everywhere. In the British Isles, people believe the bird brought portents and predictions. The number of magpies one saw could reveal what that person's future held. And this led to a common nursery rhyme. One for sorrow, two for joy. It's a, you know, a rhyme that counts all these birds. And for every number, it meant something. So if you only saw one, you were bound for sorrow. But if you saw two, there was joy in your future. Uh, The band Counting Crows gets their name from this belief that counting magpies, birds in the same family as crows, uh, one would know their future. While the Eurasian magpie 
was often seen as a, a symbol of bad luck, the oriental magpie found in China was thought to be a bearer of good luck. So it's really interesting. Like the, the culture influences the usage of the word. So yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me. You might think that's boring as hell, but whatever. So one of the older associations with this bird is the idea of knowing the future. But there are other associations you might be familiar with. For instance, on the Italian peninsula and elsewhere, there was a belief that magpies had a penchant for purloining shiny objects. Jewelry, like necklaces or rings, the birds would steal and fly back to their home with. Arguably, Giovanni Garadini's most well-known work, La Gaza Ladra, is Italian for the thieving magpie. It was thought that magpie nests were cluttered with coveted objects stolen from civilization. Because of this association, calling someone a magpie is similar to labeling him or her a hoarder. You know, their house is cluttered with crap that they'll never use, like a magpie's nest is full of stuff that are no use to the bird. A bird's going to do nothing with a shiny object. It just likes it. There is another association with magpies. So, magpie calls are very, very distinctive and are often described with words like jarring or harsh. On top of this, magpies are very vocal and very social birds. So these noisy calls are heard quite often. And because we're committed to making you understand the associations with these words, here's what a magpie sounds like. So, magpie can be a pejorative word or a derogatory word. I'm describing someone who talks with obnoxious frequency. Both frequency is in talks a lot, but, you know, they have that high-pitched annoying voice, you call them a magpie. So there you are. Three bits of trivia about the magpie. Three associations you now know. You're welcome. However, we are interested in the last idea or association with this bird. And that has to do with their diet. So, these are true omnivores. They eat everything. Young birds and eggs, small mammals, insects, carrion, which is rotting corpses, um, acorns, grain, and other vegetation. And so in medieval times, when Latin was a common tongue, uh, it was thought that they could eat just about anything, including, here it is, including things of absolutely no nutritional value. As such, the Latin for the magpie was picked up by the medical field to describe the eating disorder pica. There, we got there. Okay, awesome. Now, the second portion of our word, or halfway there, is ambrosia. Mm, you might know this. Coming from ancient Greek, this word features in mythology as the food of the gods. Ambrosia itself originates from another Greek word, ambrotos. Probably saying that wrong. Fact check the hell out of me. This word literally translates as not mortal and eventually came to mean divine or godlike. In most of the Greek stories, the consumption of ambrosia is reserved only for the gods, 
And it seems like this food is what gives the gods their immortality. And being a literal heavenly food, ambrosia probably appeared to be incredibly delicious and like fragrant. Mm. And if you've ever described a meal you've really enjoyed as like divine, like, oh, that, that burger was divine. You're without a doubt borrowing from the like covetous nature of our ancient ancestors who wanted to eat like the food of the gods. And, and this desire for this food created this huge tantalizing temptation for humanity. I mean, one could easily map the concept of the like forbidden fruit motif of Judeo-Christian creation myths. Like, I'm sure that Ian's fruit tasted amazing and that, you know, the tree of knowledge was delicious, I'm sure. And this association is what we wordsmiths are so interested in. The idea that this food looked delicious, yet was forbidden can work very well to describe the everyday objects found on forbidden snack lists. So ambrosia is a noun. We're going to change it to its adjectival form, ambrosial. This alters the word from being a literal divine food of the gods to now describing any food that looks delicious or yummy, albeit restricted from human consumption. And boom. We have our word. We've got pica, and we've got ambrosial. We're going to put that together and get picosial. Aha. So, conclusion. Next time you're doing laundry and you pull out a Tide Pod, do not eat it. Instead, describe it to your family as picosial. Or, or, next time you discover a rock that bears an un canny resemblance to like a jawbreaker, do not break your jaw on it. Instead, describe it to your friends as picosial. And next time you are in school, using an eraser that reminds you of a gummy treat, do not eat it. Instead, describe it to your English teacher as picosial. That English teacher will have absolutely no idea what you are talking about. But hey, you will. And if you use this word enough, maybe, just maybe, you'll look really smart and it will become a word and it will end up in the next edition of Webster or Oxford, anything but Urban Dictionary. Okay, thanks for listening to Wordsmitty. Be sure to visit our website, wordsmitty.com, for pictures and more trivial pursuits. And yes, I mean trivial as in trivia, but also as in totally useless information. If you have a suggestion, feel free to email your suggestion to suggestions at wordsmitty.com. Okay, until next time. I don't have a sign-off thing yet. I feel like most podcasts have a really cool sign-off thing they say at the end of every episode, but I'll just say bye. Bye.